Welcome to Live Let Thrive, a podcast about the Airbnb life, the share economy, and everything in between. Here are your hosts, Micah and Steve. Hello, hello, hello. And welcome back to another exciting episode of Live Let Thrive. What is up, Micah, man? I'm good, Stevie Stacks. How you doing? I'm doing great in this wonderful episode 229 of your favorite Airbnb, VRBO, short-term, mid-term, long-term rental podcast in the world. Coming at you from Arlington and Fort Worth, Texas. Let's go, man. Have some fun today. Yes, yeah. Sir. How you been? Man, I've been good. I've been running. I was running a little late. Um, I was uh, actually talking to a seller, potential seller. So we had to come back in, roll, roll it up, load up everything to get the podcast rolling. But uh, everything's been good. How's things on your end? ABB, always be buying, right? Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good, man. Pretty good. Um, yeah, picking up, uh, yeah, closing on a deal, closing on a purchase. Uh, also picking up two more arbitrages and picking up two more clients. It's just moving, man. It's moving. Let's and go. Feder- Federico's going to get here soon from Argentina. So let's put some green. Uh, gasoline on the fire so i'm ready man i'm ready oh and we have a special guest today enough about us micah mr alex jarbo who is alex jarbo you ask well let me tell you alex jarbo is a short-term rental developer and manager he was born and raised in detroit michigan he served in the marine corps for four and a half years where he was stationed in washington dc part of the Marine Corps Honor Guard. He left the Marine Corps at 22 years old to pursue his career as a real estate professional. He is the founder and CEO of Sargon Investments, and he has a goal of developing 650 cabins in the next three years. Alex holds an MBA with concentration, with a concentration in in real estate development and is currently finishing a doctorate in business with a concentration in leadership he is the host of the youtube channel alex builds where he teaches the ins and outs of short-term rental development and management fun facts alex is a guinness world record holder and has been practicing street magic for the past 15 years i assume as a hobby welcome to the show alex what's up guys thanks for having me on man wow first off thanks for your service we gotta he's a Oh, thanks. Guinness World Record yeah. holder? Uh, yeah, what's yeah, that about? What's that all about? Right up there. Yeah. No, my degrees are not behind me or anything. Just that. Yeah. That's all that matters. <laughs> you get a free Guinness beer with that? <laughs> <laughs> Lifetime supply of Guinness. Yeah. Uh, well, how, what is that about? How'd you get the, the Guinness World Record? I'm gonna, when I when I transitioned out of the military, um, I had a lot of free time on my hands compared to when I was in the military. I just wasn't used to that. So I remember when I was a kid, I used to go through the Guinness World Record book thing and I always wanted to get one of them. So I just went on their website one day and I was like, what's the easiest thing I can do to like just get like and it's like it took like six months. It was like the furthest distance to roll a coin. So my buddy had like a, a gym and it was like a or he he operated a gym. But there was like this long concrete stretch that I just like whipped a half do- half dollar down and just videotaped it with a couple friends. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. And and so I, how does that work? Because I don't know. I hear people. I mean, you have to call them and, and get them to take the video. I mean, what happens? How do you? Get yeah. That? I mean, so like you can go on their site and just look up every record. And then from there, like you can just choose one, you apply for it. And then you 
you just send the video over. Each one has like their own little requirement and stuff. So you just send them the video. You don't need that person in the suit there with uh-huh. everything. But okay. yeah, I just sent it to them and then waited like six months to get a yes or a no, got a yes. And then they sent me the cert right after that. So so Michael Jordan listens to our show and he's going to beat your record just because he can. That's what he does. Totally. He everybody's record. So, man, welcome to the show. Detroit, he's to... not fond of that guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. Bad boys. Bad boys. <laughs> So tell us about how you got your start in this whole real estate game. Yeah, guys. So um, like last year of my enlistment in the Marine Corps, I decided I didn't want to re-enlist. So I just started reading up on a lot of real estate, but a lot of business books in general. And then real estate had really caught my eye just because I enjoyed the control you could have over it. I was mainly reading like Burr, flipping, flip, fixing, or flip, flipping books and stuff. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'd originally joined a flipping mentorship while I was still in the military and the gentleman who was running that flipping mentorship, we were doing like a group coaching call once. And he was, uh, he had mentioned that most of it, this is back to 2015, 16, but most of his long-term wealth was tied into short-term rentals. And that sort of like my perked my ears a little bit. So I, I had gotten him on a one-on-one call right after that. And um, he was pretty open with his numbers to show me his cash flows and stuff. And they were ridiculous compared to like the, some of the long-term rental stuff that I was looking at, or even the multifamily stuff. And um, so I, he helped me, choose a market i was like i'm really open to moving anywhere after my service um and he he taught me how to choose the right short-term rental market and that that's where so like the day i got out of the military moved straight to Asheville, where i currently live right now and um just got my real estate license and just started looking for a property for myself what i realized really quickly at that time was everything was either way out of my price range or it was in my price range but it just wouldn't have done well as a short-term rental there was nothing unique about it there was no draw maybe it would have done well as like a long-term rental but not necessarily a short-term rental so after looking for like six months um i was a couple offers that we submitted that didn't get accepted um i decided to build my very first short-term rentals like ground up development from from nothing that was my very first real estate investment and that one was an 800 square foot cabin that we own to this day or it's an a-frame and then one turned into two really quickly two turned into four brought on some investor capital and today we're developing over 10 million dollars in short-term rentals and i'm hoping to triple that next year Mm. so i I like what you said man you couldn't get anybody to accept your offers you're like i'm gonna build my own damn house i love that (laughs) what made you think you could do that uh and that people ask me that like like what made you think that that was gonna work and i tell them like i didn't know it was gonna work i just i had backup plans like I had underwritten it as a long-term rental. And then also my, I, there was an exit in there as well. Like I could just sell the property if it didn't work. I was, everyone's always looking for some sort of affordable housing and that square footage range would have fit that. But yeah, I, I, originally I didn't, I didn't know if it was going to work or not. I was just building a really cool property. And I was like, if it doesn't work, it's still going to cash flow some money if it's a long-term rental. Yeah. Okay, your turn, your turn, your turn. No, I was going to ask you, you said your mentor told you, taught you how to choose the right short-term rental market. How do you choose the right short-term rental market for people that are looking to get in? Yeah. So for people who are looking to get into it, when you read, so I'm a writer for Bigger Pockets. I, I write their, for their short-term rental blog. And one of the things, the the question that I always get is that well, how to choose a short-term rental market and the bigger pocket, any real estate book you read, they recommend when you're first starting to start in your own backyard. And I sort of recommend that for this as well. And it might not necessarily be your direct backyard, but the way I, the way I, I develop unique short-term rentals. 
And I recommend putting them in more rural settings. And what that means is every single person, no matter where you live in the United States, there are these pocket markets that are within an hour to two away from you. The two extreme examples I give is like, People in, who live in New York City will drive up to upstate New York to stay like an extended weekend vacation. And then people who live in San Diego will take an extended weekend vacation to say like Big Bear Lake or whatever. So you want to ask yourself, where in my market or where close to me within an hour or two do people in my city like to take an extended weekend vacation to? And that's probably the market you want to be in. One, real estate prices are probably going to be a little bit cheaper where you live if you live in a metro market. And then two, you can you can put like an A-frame or some sort of unique property that's unique to that specific landscape wherever you are. And I guarantee it's going to do well. Mm, yeah. I love that. Where they want to take an extended vacation. So now yeah, extended weekend vacation. Another thing I've written for bigger pockets was like this. I I don't I personally don't think you can ever go wrong with the strategy of investing close to a national park or a national forest because mm. there's an insane amount of foot tracker traffic going through any every single one of those parks. Man, I got a few outside of Yellowstone. They never miss, man. They never miss. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Wh where's your A-frame at? It's in Asheville, and then we're building like six more of them, six different ones. Yeah, yeah. So we, we do like log cabins, A-frames, cottages. We're playing around with tree houses. It's just hard to get financing on them. <laughs> <laughs> so so going back to like, I like what you said, you know, when I when I asked you the question, how the hell did you know you could do, you know, you could build a house, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and a lot of people told you it was a risk, you know, and here, here's what, what was cool. Your answer was to these people thinking it's a risk. It's like, um, you, well, if, if anything, I could just sell it or I can, you know, rent it out as a yeah, long term. Especially you had different operating options. in that square footage, like under 1500 square foot, there's always a need for houses at that size. Always, no matter what the market's doing. But it's like me and me and Micah, I mean, well, Micah was able to retire through, you know, through uh, real estate and I'm on my way out too, but it's like people at work, like, man, I would, you know, I just too risky. I wouldn't, you know, I can't buy right now. Prices are this or that. I mean, how could you buy a house? And then and what happens if no one rents it? It's like, like well, I'll sell it. You know, I don't know. It's just to me, it's just like, yeah. it's, it's not much of a risk. You know, you can get someone in there. It's, people are always looking for places to rent. If it don't work out as a short term, make no matter what interest rates are doing right now, there's still a shortage of inventory. Exactly. And I'm like, if anything push comes to stuff, I just sell the damn thing. You know, they yeah. act like I'm just going to make zero dollars if, if no one rents it nah it doesn't right. work like that man it's more of a risk to not do nothing in life and just rely Absolutely. on a job to take care of you and your family right right yeah right. jim Rohn says man the uh investing's risky but what's the bill for not investing that's yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> jim Rohn. yeah so yeah so how'd you become a writer for bigger pockets i was connected through them um they had like done a redesign of their website and i think they they were trying to push out more content and i i'm uh i got connected a couple years ago with paul moore he's in charge of wellings capital i think he wrote a, he wrote a self-storage book for bigger pockets and then he had written a couple books before that um but him and i had become really good friends a couple years ago and he sort of took me under his wing and he's in the syndication space and he had sort of just helped me understand how syndication works and the different moving pieces to that um and i had let him know i wanted to, originally i was trying to get on the podcast but i was it was way too early for me to even do that um but he had reached out to me he's like hey they're looking for a short-term rental writer and i got i got in contact with their editor he interviewed me and then it turned out their editor lived like three four miles away from me and i was like oh okay cool so um i wrote i sent them the first article 
as like a test. And then I think like 40 or 50,000 people read it in the first day. And then ever since then that there were, it was pretty consistent. I think I've done nine or 10 for them at this point. I try to push one out every two or three weeks. That is awesome, dude. Yeah. It's great exposure for you and your business as well, I reckon. Yeah. And I, I learn, I learn a lot off of like, I learn a lot about the short-term rental market based off of the questions that are being asked as well. Mm. You yeah. trying to write a book? I have one in the works, but it's, it's, it's a, it's like a small ebook. I'm, I'm, I don't, I, I had, I haven't decided on what I want to write. I think short-term rental development, I would need like four textbooks for something like that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm in, I'm in the works of writing one right now. I just don't know when I'm going to finish it. Cool, man. Um, one thing I, I hear it a lot and I, and I, I kind of know what they are, the A-frames. Yeah. Can you explain what an A-frame is? It's not a cabin. It's an A-frame. What, what is that? Yeah. And those terms tend to be used interchangeably. Just think of like literally a house that doesn't have walls in its entire roof. Think of an A. Mm. And, uh, for some reason, I mean, they're, for some reason they do really, really well. Like I'll give you guys the example. I built that first one with the land acquisition. I got a loan on the property, but with land acquisition, with furnishing the property and developing it. So turnkey, it was about 225, 250,000. And that property grossed about 82,000 last year. And it netted after debt service and expenses about 46,000. So mm. I think I'd put in maybe 30 to 35,000 into it. So like my ROI, I have no investors on that one, but like my ROI on that one's been like over a hundred percent every single year. Yeah. <laughs> and that one, that one does better than some of the log cabins that we've purchased close to like 900 grand. Holy crap. It, yeah. it, so what, just... what I say to people, it's like, okay, like how do I choose a unique property? I like to say like Instagrammable properties. Um, you just go on Airbnb's website on their, on their homepage, put in your, put in your city address and see what are the top properties that pop up in your market and then model those designs. There's nothing wrong with having two A-frames in the market. Like when I started, there was only one other one and now there's like 12 of them, but it hasn't affected my occupancy in any way. I love how you said that because we interviewed Peter Bayhuth a long time ago, right? He was like one of the first dudes with the tree house. He was, I think he might still be the most wished for Airbnb. Might not be anymore, but basically he was one of the first people to like really do the tree house. He has the big tree house in Atlanta. And like ever since then, everyone's doing tree houses, but it's right. there's like 12 in my market. Yeah, exactly. And it's like a huge thing now. And people are making killer money doing that, man. Yeah. I'll t I mean, for your listeners and for you guys, the easy, the best way to do a treehouse is essentially to put the house on stilts. Imagine like a house over the water and like on the coast or something. And mm -hmm. if you look at most treehouses that are built today for short-term rentals, they're on stilts and then there's trees around them. Or maybe there's a tree that goes through the deck and you can get financing through a normal bank, like an SBA loan or something. If you do, if you go that route. And in my opinion, it's the best I always think about like optimizing square footage so you're not wasting any space, especially with how expensive things has gotten with trades and uh, materials. I mean, hey, those tree houses, five to 600 square foot, even if it costs $400 a square foot to build, which is relatively expensive, four to 450 a square foot. I mean, those are bringing in anywhere between three to 600 a night easily. Mm. So it's like that, that is like, if you, if you read the book that Brian Chesky wrote, one of the co-founders of Airbnb, he said, the most popular thing to put on Airbnb is a treehouse. 
Wow. I believe yeah. it too. Cause I remember, yeah, Peter Bayhoof was all over that. He's like, yeah, man, I just didn't think it would do all that well. And yeah. it took off. Like he said, he, his tree house was booked so much in order for him to stop taking residence. He has to shut down his calendar. He goes, I can no way. Yeah. He has to literally shut down his calendar. He goes, I can, I can be booked every single night of the year for 300 yeah. plus minute, $300 minimum a night. He goes, yeah. He literally, he was like, dude, I have to like just shut down my calendar because he does everything himself. He basically turned it into an experience where people come and he gives them like a tour of it. And so oh, awesome. Yeah. And he turned it into an experience and he's like, I have to shut it down for it not to get booked. I was like, wow. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. now when you're doing like short-term rental development, like when you do, you, do you sell them as well? I don't. I, I mean, they're all with my investors. They're all long-term holds. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. like, yeah, we're, we're in it for the long play, man. Like my investors know that we're going to be married for at least 10 years. So. Okay. Yeah. I was going to yeah, ask. Yeah. We don't, we don't sell any of them. I mean, we, we've done a couple cash out refinances. I don't need a hundred percent of the money. So it's like, we just take ca cash out refinance and move it into the next deal. So what, so my, on the cash out refi, what kind of financing is available for like a short term rental, a frames, things like that? Yeah, man. When I first started, there was almost nothing. So when, when I first started, I did a second home construction loan and they were, they were fine with me using it as an Airbnb quote unquote, as a second home. And, um, there are some rules around that now. Um, but at that time it, it was completely fine. I think it was like 10 or 15% down. Now, um, there's a lot of lender, a, lo a lot of really good lenders that will do like new construction on Airbnb. So all of our properties are permanent foundation, stick built houses stick built some sort of custom, which means like they get certificate of occupancies, which means you can sell them to a normal person and they can get financing on them. Um, so we, we build them with full kitchens, full bathrooms, like a normal house. There's just, there's a really cool design attached to each one of them. And um, right now there's a lot of really good lenders uh, just off the top of my head, center street lending, host financial and Visio lending. I've used host financial and Visio both um, and I, I like Vizio, but I, I forgot which one doesn't do construction, but there's enough short-term rental financing out there. And then also, I mean, just local credit unions. I don't know about new development, but local credit unions are open to stuff like this. And a step above that. Um, so what, what I'm doing now, the best use of my time is to develop anywhere between like six to 12 cabins in these cluster developments. So we put like a theme behind them, whether it be barn dominiums, tree houses, A-frames, log cabins, something. And we'll build six to 12 at the same time on like 15 to 20 acres. And you can get SBA financing on that. We, we're just about to close on SBA financing on one of our first ones. New construction, new development from ground up, land, everything. Damn. Yeah. That's wow. awesome. Yeah. Now, now, here's the thing that when, when you say you get like a, a, a some acreage and then, and then you want to put like, you know, 15, 20 houses or, or tiny homes or, or cabins or yeah. whatever it is, right? I, I guess, I don't know if it's just around here in like North Texas area, a lot of places, uh, they don't allow you to, to build like smaller homes on them. Do y'all have those regulation problems up there? Yeah, yeah, there, there are. And I'll tell you the way we got around some of those minimum square footage requirements is we'll take it, we'll say, we'll say if it's five, say four acres, just to keep it round. So say if it's four acres and you want to build four cabins, there are minimum square footage requirements, usually in a city or it's in the HOA. Most of the times I want to invest if it's in an HOA anyways, but if it's in the city and there's minimum square footage requirements, the way you get around that is, and this isn't breaking the rules, it's just getting around, it's the gray area, is you would take that four acre plot and you're trying to put four houses on it, you would split it in half and you would do a primary and an accessory dwelling unit.
primary accessory dwelling unit, access ADU being the mother-in-law suite. So for us, it's usually like a 15, 14 to 1500 square foot house. And then there's a mini version behind it. And then same thing on this side, big house, there's mini version behind it. And then eight. that way you have four units, but you just got around the minimum square footage requirement and you just built for like 2000 square foot per, nice. per yeah, yeah. Those ADUs. Because in the eyes of the county, that's just one address, or it might be two addresses, but it's on the same parcel. Um, but in the eyes of a short term rental, it's two units. Mm. Yeah. Um, you, you just hit a huge, like people who are listening, man, what he just said is actually a really gold bar. Where America's going is ADUs. That yeah, is, man. I did an entire YouTube video on them, and that's how a lot of people start. They're like, I got some room in my backyard. I'll build something back there. And then I know how that's how Rob built got started. Yeah. Um, he, he built an ADU in his backyard and then that turned into what it is now. You my, know, uh, oh, I was say my mentor, I'm wearing his jacket, uh, Thatch. He is big on ADUs. He goes, yeah, if, man. You wanna, if you want to buy something, buy something with an ADU. But in Texas, they haven't evaluated ADUs yet. But in other places like the North Carolinas, yeah, yeah. You can evaluate an ADU and man, it's we, crazy. We purchased too. So like we'll purchase if there's some land attached to it. So if it's like, we just purchased a big log cabin that has like four acres attached to it. And then they're like, we're just building ADUs next to it. Like, cause mm -hmm. in some zoning districts, you can build multiple ADUs attached, like multiple mm -hmm. mother-in-law suites. You know, what, what was crazy about that is back in the, you know, I wouldn't say older days, but a little bit older days of the of bigger pockets, uh, David Green said he, he's, you know, David Green, the host, he, he see, I see the appeal of these ADUs and, you know, in a, maybe in a place like L.A. where there's hardly any, you know, there's no there's no supply. Yeah, you can get away with it. But I just don't like how you can't get a loan to pay for these things, you know, and that that yeah. what your your cash on cash returns smaller because you have to pay out out, out of your pocket for to build one of these. Now you can use renovation loans to build yeah. those detached ADUs. And refi them too. You can refi out. And then if, if you don't want to reset your interest rate right now, you can just take a HELOC and then just build that second one. That's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, man. Yeah. use yeah. are a major play in the U.S. right now. Arizona, all in those areas. It's That's a killer play right now. And then imagine your resale value too. I mean, I know I've looked at my numbers. Like, it's just <laughs> like you just added another house behind your house. Like, <laughs> I had a friend build an ADU in his backyard. He was all in at 500k. The appraisal came at back at 1.5 mil just because. Yeah, dude, that's how we were. We that's insane. Insane. We purchased for like 850 on a cabin, a massive cabin, and then we built that ADU, and then the appraisal came back very similar at 1.435. Yeah, <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah. So the renovation to build that was about just under a million for everything. So like we've uh, created like close to half a million in equity. Yeah. <laughs> We're in the wrong business, Micah. <laughs> hey, I'm trying to get in that ADU business. I've been on that for a while. It's just Texas doesn't do the ADU thing yet. It's coming though. It's going to come. Yeah. You're throwing so much at us so fast and, and going oh, sorry, back to man. one point. No, no, no. I, I, we love it. We love it. I'm, I'm writing it all down. So I'll get back to it, most of it. So, so what you said earlier was really cool. He said, just go on Airbnb, find, find something you like. You mentioned like a tree house or a cabin in a certain area, whatever. And then just uh, see how good it's doing and, and the reviews and, and then, then do one also. I mean, and, and it's funny because the other day, and you know, when you, when, if you get on Airbnb, the, for the front page, it's all these unique 
you know, yeah, and you got the style tabs Airbnb. now. You can just run through the tabs and see what yeah. catches your eye. Yeah. So when the one just jumped out at me was this one in Marfa, Texas, right out in the desert. And I was, it looked like such a cool freaking, you know, it's one of those where it's just like glass windows all the way around. Right. Yeah. yeah and I'll then, you know, everything opens. And so your bed is like just looking out the freaking beautiful mountains and stuff. And the whole thing opens. And then it has like a big, you know, metal uh, roof covering everything. So you got a lot of shade. And I was just like, and, and I went through the pictures like, man, it just tells such a cool story. You see the sunsets, the sun rises, it's 360 views, just all yeah. glass all the way around, you know? Yeah. And I was like, I want to build something like that. I said, I wonder if that's as expensive as building a house. Probably not. Maybe. I don't know. But I was just like, I want to, I don't, I didn't see a bunch of them out there. Like, I guess, I guess those, were, those kind of buildings were popular. Oh, it's all hundred percent solar too. Those yeah, were popular oh, awesome. in um, Joshua Tree. I guess that's when they started like those kinds. Yeah, the, the big one is what they started on that one. Yeah. 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 And so I'm like, man, that's, I, I don't know nothing about Marfa. It seems pretty cool. A lot of, you know, a lot of hipsters going there now and doing yeah, the, You check it on Air DNA or Rabu and you're like, oh, and it's making that much. Like, <laughs> he charges over 500 a night. And he's yeah. booked all the time. I'm like, holy yeah. crap. It's like a two bedroom, uh, one bath, uh, like a glass house, you know, with the, with the roof over it. It's just out yeah. in the middle of the desert is making over 500 a night. I'm like, holy crap. It is beautiful. But I mean, like I said, it tells yeah, and, a story. So like, yeah, that, and that's the thing. It's like you're, you're building. I think that's where short term rentals are going to be going in the next like five to 10 years is like these Instagrammable properties where the property itself is an experience outside the city that the guest is visiting that also it makes the property less seasonal because people are just drawn to the property compared to the market um and another thing is like you, you want to build properties that people are proud to put on their social media because that opens you to a completely different world of like like influencer marketing like we've we've put influencers through all of our properties so far and they're they just they're just remarketing it to on their social media and you i think of my days like each cabin has like as inventory like each cabin has 365 days that's my inventory if my average daily stay is three days like averaged across all my guests i only got to bring in 120 guests a year so it's like imagine if like an influencer go an influencer with 300,000 followers on instagram goes in that property shoots some stuff for me and posts it on their social media 300,000 followers here 120 guests here it's like it's gonna get booked easily <laughs> I love how you did the math right yeah. there, man. And, and you broke it down. It reminds me of um of uh what's her name? Uh Ziona McIntyre went on the B Bigger Pocket show the other day. And she was like, you know, we they do midterms, you know, and she yeah. broke it out the same way. What you know, works. three month, yeah, three month rentals. And so I only need four guests a year. And I was like, That's it. Oh shit, I didn't even think about that. You know, it's just like yeah. the way the way they broke it down. Okay, I'm only after four guests a year. That's it. That's all they need to make right. a, a major profit each year. Yeah. So it's like if you have like 12 of them you need yeah 30 something that's nothing it's nothing right yeah yeah you and make a good point about like where it's going because like like you guys just said you can get on airbnb now and just click what you want like you can click a mansion like hey i want mansions yeah right i want a castle yeah like you want yeah. a castle it's and i do think if you're planning like on just being on airbnb you should definitely invest in like one of these types of unique type yeah, of space yeah. because that's what they're catering to, man. That like these people are charging twelve hundred dollars a night, you know, for a yeah. mansion, you know. So you know that that's definitely where the where the wave is going. I fully agree there. And if you've seen the um, when you're setting them up, you know, we, we were walking through a new client. You know, they wanted to show us how to set it, set up their listing and all this stuff. And, and I hadn't I hadn't been on one of these calls in a while, right? And I was hopping on. I was like, holy crap, the amenities list. 
is like a hundred different things now. One of them is like a indoor ice rink, indoor basketball yeah. court. Oh, I mean, yeah, they you're talking about like when you're setting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're setting Crazy. it up, yeah. I'm like, all I said, and then and Federico, you know, he's he's usually the one that set my my business partner. He's like, oh yeah, you know, every time someone does something new and unique, they add it to the to this the amenities list, and I'm like, this yeah. thing is is insane. I remember when I used to coach students like three years ago. So I'm a part of um I'm a part time coach for the BNB Formula, which is like a big rental arbitrage coaching community, mm-hmm. and um when we used to set those properties up for or help them set up the properties for the students. There was I, I used to say, like, just try to check off as many amenities as you can because it's going to help your listing more. But I don't even say that anymore because, like you said, there's like a hundred and something amenities. That's just going to overwhelm someone if you're trying to every little thing. <laughs> it, it's yeah. funny you say that because uh, if you, um, you know, Verbo is actually catering to that now. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, a, I'm a host. I'm on Hostfully and yeah, yeah. I have the integration manager and he right, goes, right. hey, man. You should, uh, cause and I had never really just went through and looked at all the amenities, but he goes, Hey man, I'm going to be honest with you. Verbo we're you know, he's, he works for him. He's like Verbo we're catering to people that have most, most of the boxes checked. He goes, yeah. so you have your VA go back through and check all the boxes that you have. He goes, that's what we're catering to. And he goes, you'll get way more reservations. So yeah, man, on Verbo that that's all they cater to. Hey, check the boxes. Then they'll start pushing you up the rank Airbnb. Now you're right. Click whatever you want. And the most beautiful thing you've ever seen will come up. So yeah, it's right. crazy. You always got to always pay attention to where these search algorithms are going so you can be ahead of that curve. Absolutely. Now, do you uh, do a lot of direct bookings or mostly Airbnb? Lo- yeah, man, I knew that that's where the conversation <laughs> was going to go. So I need, so six months ago, uh, a year ago, we just had like some issues with Airbnb with one of our properties with like a guest lying about something that didn't happen. And that was sort of like the first time where I started thinking about direct bookings because it's happened to all hosts. And especially what we were just talking about Airbnb's platform, they Airbnb completely just changed their algorithm in the summer. Like a lot of people were caught off guard. We went from like being fully booked out to they're starting to change it, but they did. I mean, for sure they screwed up the algorithm a little bit and I'm pretty sure they know they did that um, because like they're, they're finally starting to backtrack on it. But that was, we started really working with Mark with Boosley um, to, to build out a direct booking platform. I was just on his podcast last month. And um, we're doing it on our, we're, we're purchasing seven cabins. Like, oh, there you go, man. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, we're, we're working with Mark to put together like just a direct booking site. And then Jordan from Stamo, actually, we just, we just hung out last night. He was at one of my properties. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's in charge of like the influencer marketing platform thing. And um, that's sort of our, that's sort of our strategy going forward now is like, utilizing influencer marketing and then pushing people through direct bookings. And I mean, the easiest way to do it is just use stay five, like have your guest. Yeah, man, do freaking check, check, check. Right. But like <laughs> literally you, I, I tell students, you need to be looking at Airbnb and VRBO as just a marketing arm to your business. It is not where your property should live because if it, like, if you look 10 years ago with like Google and everything, when Google changed their algorithm, the big Google slap like 10 years ago, seven, 10 years ago, a lot of people in the internet marketing world got screwed. And I think of that when I think of Airbnb and VRBO, they could change one thing like their algorithm, say like just like what just happened in the summer. And a lot of people can be left out to dry. So we use Airbnb and VRBO to bring the guests into our property. We use StayFi to capture their contact info. Like one of our log, one of our log cabins sleeps 14 people. It's like a five, six bedroom cabin. 
Um, and then, then we're going to be remarketing to them through a Boostly site from there. Um, and that that's our strategy going forward. And then since the we have unique properties, we can bring influencers through our properties and push them to a direct book, a direct booking site from there too. I love it, man. I have my Boostly site and it's been, man, a game changer for us. So yeah, I was, I was going to use, I was going to switch over to Streamline as a PMS and then they pushed me towards uh host away. So that's, that's what I'm going to be using from now on. See, so, you touched on something that I, I'm not even, I mean, I, I've heard of it, but I really, I haven't really dove into it too much is influencer marketing. How do you, how do you utilize influencers to, like I said, get the eyes on your property? Yeah. So there's, there's two ways to do it. The easiest way is to just take your listing photos and send them to like, take your best to your cover photo or your best listing photos. And you can, I mean, you can go on Instagram and just start looking up cabins or Airbnb and short-term rental pages that have anywhere between 20,000 to say 100,000, 150,000, and just ask to pay for a post, $50, $100, and then give them your best images and they'll just, they'll feature your cabin, your property on their sites. That's the easiest way to do it. The other side is using Stamo or any, you can just reach out to influencers directly. Stamo is easy because it's a, it's a community that they've built and they, they vet all the properties and they vet all the influencers as well. Um, but you can trade, you can pay for some travel, some of them, the higher end ones, you're going to be paying a little more, but a lot of times you're just paying for their travel and you're giving up your days that weren't going to get booked anyways. Talking about like a Tuesday through a, uh, a Thursday or like a Monday through a Thursday, you're giving those days to them. Maybe they weren't going to book in the future and then they're coming in and they're shooting content for your property. So like, you're not paying for that. And then obviously they have rights to their content. But then you can share it on your social media. They're going to share it, share it on their social media. If they have friends like how Jordan does, they'll bring in a whole bunch of people um, into a pro like a bigger property and just do like one big like media push, essentially. Um, and that's that I think that is one of the keys going forward is like having people like reviewing your property to their communities, essentially. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But the, so those are the two legs of influencer marketing. You can do it. I think Instagram is the best channel to do it through. You can do it through YouTube as well. If you can get someone who's good with long form content, Instagram is the easiest, in my opinion, you can just pay for a post or you can have an influencer come through, pay for their stay, have them stay at your property. And then they can, they can just remarket or market to their, their platform or their community. It must be nice being an influencer, man. You can go around the world and they, not only do you live for or yeah stay for free they pay you to stay at their places yeah i was i was talking to jordan last night because we uh, my my investor on the property he stayed at uh he's local and we took him out and his friend last night and we were just talking about the platform and he's like they have some influencers that just live in a van and they'll literally just like boom 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 like throughout the whole country like just knock out these like big like shoots so like they'll like stay here for three days stay here for four days and they'll they'll be their job is essentially just to shoot content for their community. And wow. it's like, it's a win-win for everyone. So our influencers, I see, I don't know a lot about this industry. Are they pretty much just all hot women, hot girls? No, I mean, Jordan's a dude, uh, but like, uh, <laughs> is he a hot dude? No, it, it's, it's like, cause you have like people like, oh, shoot, Logan I forgot Hall. his name. Um, well, Mike, but I forgot his last name. Mike will travel. You have Levi Kelly. Those are the two big ones. Those are on YouTube. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a mix of everything. And it's when my wife and I went to Tulum beach last year, mm. that's like influencer central, but it's like annoying influencer central. <laughs> like they're just like these, 
children or these misbehaved adults essentially um so when when i when someone says influencer that's the first thing i think about is what i saw in tulum they're they're not like that it's like a lot of these are like mature influencer they're just travelers um and they're they're really good with their content and again like what i like about stamo is they vet all of their people so like you can't just go up and just sign up the way you can airbnb like you need to submit an application either as a host or as an influencer and then they'll approve you or not approve you Man, it was it was it's funny because going back to yeah, it's not exactly what I thought influencers are, but going to like um, that's what I thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hadn't. Well, it's funny because I hadn't been to like a gym, gym in years, right? I have like a gym at work, workout at my at my yeah, uh, yeah. at my work, you know. And then I signed up for this gym, and man, walking through the gym is hard with all these. It's just all cameras. Cell, it's all cell phones everywhere on the floor, yeah. filming these chicks do all their workouts. Man, there's yeah. so many. So Just many moto, girls. Moto videos is what we call them in the military. Yeah, moto video. <laughs> yeah. What what girls you wouldn't even think that would want to be filmed doing the workouts? You, they're doing it too. I was like, okay, I don't I guess it's I mean it's the dudes as well. Like I yeah, see the dudes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I every day, man. I'm trying to do my chest day. It's a dude. He it was one guy, he comes in and he sets up his whole studio. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. I'm like, bro, come does, on. Does two sets and then just sits on the machine. Yeah, he does like two reps, then he sits, sets up his camera again. I'm like, bro, get the hell out of here. <laughs> That's the world we live in, though, man. It's for his OnlyFans account. Come on. That's funny. <laughs> oh, man, I have a funny off-air story about that. But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Tell it on the air. You know how we do. So, so, okay, so we touched on um, um, direct booking. So obviously everybody is uh, so many people I talked to is afraid of doing direct bookings, right? Because they know that Airbnb is always going to be on your side and protect you hundred percent. Right. And so <laughs> wink, wink. Um, so how do you protect your, your properties uh, insurance wise uh, for direct bookings? Yeah. I mean, we, we, we have short-term rental insurance. A lot of our properties, um, crap, I forgot the name of the proper. We use proper insure. They're a little bit more expensive, but they'll, 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 they'll ensure the lost income of a property and blah, blah, blah. What I've realized though about, and I, I love this question because with the unique properties, we already talked about how much money they can make. Usually those higher, I consider those like higher end properties where like you're charging over between two to $800 a night. Um, those tend to push away a lot of the bad guests anyways. Mm. It's like you have, you have a property like an A-frame that can bring in anywhere between 250 to 400 a night or 450 a night. And they're staying for three to six nights like that, that tends to push like deter a lot of the bad guests anyways, that are just looking for a place to stay, or maybe a roof over their heads while they party. Um, but I mean, yeah, like you said, like having good insurance is key, like short term rental insurance. What mm -hmm. I also learned was state farm started doing short term rental insurance. And we're playing around with it right now. It's very similar policies compared to proper insurance state form. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, for a catastrophe to happen, I'm sure it's it's always it's always good to have good insurance. But I mean, I, me and Mike could talk about on the show. We used to for all of our uh, houses that we own, we used to we used to put um uh, what is it called the noise uh, aware? Uh, well, that too. But um, American Home Shield, Home Shield, American Home Shield. I'm sorry. The uh, what are those called? Uh, freaking, I forget. It slipped my mind. What are those things called? Home warranty companies. Oh, yeah. home warranty. I, I know. Yeah. 
anyways, back in the olden days, they paid out pretty good, whatever. Something happened, you know, you got paid, whatever. You paid yeah. a small fee, monthly fee. Then it just got to the point where um, I don't know if they if there's their computer system blackballs you for <laughs> making too many claims or whatever. Right, right, right. Then it gets to the point where they just deny everything. And I know and insurance companies are in it to make money. Home warranty is kind of like insurance, right? So I got we got rid of all those. But uh, the thing is, I mean, as long as you're like you said, the prices are high. These are unique places. People, people are probably not going to destroy them. Hopefully, but if you're um, developing, if you're developing you, uh, from ground up, you're you're most of the things in the house are also under warranty because they're brand new, mm. like five to ten year warranties automatically. That's so, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and and so so yeah, as long as you're stockpiling enough, you know, to I guess do a self insurance type deal. You know, you make you're making a lot of money. And so you can, I've, I've, have, I've heard, yeah. I mean, we just toured a property that had 12 units and I was like, what insurance company did you use? And he's like, we used Lloyd's of London who use it, which is what proper uses. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. They're like, we haven't, we've been, we, we haven't been insured in a while. They said they just like, and they had a house fire in one of their properties, but it was like, it was still cheaper to pay for that out of pocket <laughs> than it was to pay the insurance. <laughs> yeah. I'm not I mean, telling anyone to do that. That was just yeah. my experience with one of the hosts. I don't do that, but and just look what happens. When, you know, Florida gets wiped out. You know, the insurance companies. What do they say? Oh, we ain't got it, man. Sorry, we can't. Yeah, pay for sorry. It. Everyone just filed a claim at the same yeah. day. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> call the government. You know, the taxpayers yeah. will pay for it. Um. So anyway, syndication. You touched on that too. There's so many things that you touched on. Um. How did you? Are you? How did you get into syndication? Yeah, I mean, I leaned very heavily on like multifamily books to figure that out. Um, and what I realized was when I, so I, I did a big capital push at the beginning of this year, I hopped on a lot of multifamily podcasts and the the owner of the podcast knew that I was going to be pitching something at the end in terms of short-term rental partnerships or something. So I had enough people coming through my funnel for investors where I could do JV deals, individual JV deals with each one of them, where I guess you can consider that a syndication. I don't look at that as a syndication because I wasn't pooling multiple investors capital i was just doing like a straight 50 50 with some sort of management and some sort of equity tied into each one of them and so my first four that i did were all joint partner deals where the one investor would bring up all the capital to the deal um, and then they would help me guarantee the loan because i got to a point where i couldn't guarantee the loans by myself Mm. Um, so they'd be a personal guarantor on the loan with me and then when i started doing the multifamily pod or when i was pretty done with multifamily podcasts, what I realized was after I would hop off the podcast and like not hop off, but like we would stop recording, um, all these multifamily podcasts have their own fund. That's how they, a lot of times that's how they promote the fund is through that. What I realized was like, I had like three or four hosts of those funds that were running also their podcast. They would pitch their fund to me. Like they were multifamily funds, but multifamily was getting crushed. It's still getting crushed, but not as bad as like six months ago. Um, looking at like two and a half, five percent cap rates, and they would pitch the fund to me. So I ended up teaming up with a fund out of Michigan, um, and we're just about to close our first deal where they raise all the capital, they handle all the investor relations. I am the operator and the deal finder, and I put the deal together. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think I'm giving up more equity that way, but I'm also not. They they help me guarantee the property. They're putting together all the investors. We're tied to our investors eight to 10 years, like I said, depending on what the market is doing at that time. And they're going to be handling all the investor relations during that time where I don't ha- I can just focus on creating content like this, but also uh, just 
focusing on finding deals and putting deals together. That's what I enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's been I did the JV stuff. I was thinking about putting my own syndication fund together, but then I was like, let me just tap into someone who's been doing multifamily for 10, 15 years. Numbers are numbers at the end of the day. Returns, cash flows, preferred returns. It's just a number at the end of the day, no matter what real estate class you're in. Um, so that that's been my that's been my experience with syndications. I just decided to just integrate myself into a fund that's already doing real estate syndications. That is cool, man. You find and, and you're doing the part that you like. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing the part that I like. And then they they have experience in that. They've been doing it 10, 15 years where I would just be starting out and making those mistakes like myself. Like they they and they have the relationships. They've exited some of their partners already. So like their partners trust them more than if I was just coming in and talking to them cold. Hmm. Yeah. So how how is the recession and the inflation been affecting this building business? Ooh, that's why I wanted to go with that. Good job. Yeah, I would say that it hasn't affected it as much as COVID did with like with um, I mean, you're looking at labor costs that were absolutely ridiculous. And then same thing with like labor or uh, like materials costs, like material, like contrary to popular belief, like labor costs and materials costs are going down right now because we are in a recession. The recession, the economy is receding, which makes things cheaper. That's the whole point of doing all like (laughs) increasing interest rates. But like, yeah. I mean, we're also I, the two two bigger pockets articles ago, I wrote a specific topic on that where just because we're going through a recession does not mean you should stop investing in real estate. Like like you like you said before we hopped on, like you should be investing in any type of market. So what I said in that blog post was no matter what interest rates are doing, you need to be underwriting the deal, underwrite the deal and look at the numbers. The numbers don't lie. Underwrite it the same way you would have in in the the best market we've ever seen compared to now where we're at like i just got a term sheet for six cabins we're building and the interest rate was eight and a half percent which hurts that hurts when you see that mm. but the numbers and the lender was still comfortable going forward it's fixed rate debt it's not even adjustable rate debt so they they were comfortable i talked to my investor this morning about it like we were comfortable moving forward because the investors are still going to make their money on it so when it comes to the recession it's like Uh, my very first mentor had said, just avoid the news, avoid the news completely. Mm. If the news is important enough, someone is going to tell you about it. And that's sort of what I stick to is if the news is important enough, someone's going to tell you about it. Um, I'm still looking at properties. If the numbers work for my investors and if the numbers work for me, I'm still going through with it. You might Mm. have to get a little bit more creative on the structure, like who gets what, but at the end of the day, like things are on sale right now. (laughs) It's that simple. And on the development side, People are, instead of us trying to hunt down people like tradesmen for them to work for us, now they're calling us because like, again, like the people aren't building as much now on the custom side and stuff. Mm. Yeah. I'm yeah. loving the fact that the material costs are going down. That's definitely helping me. So I, I'm, I'm fully with you yeah. right there. there I, I'm going to say this. They will never go back to where they were prior to COVID, but for sure they're going down. Yeah. At least now you're operating with knowing that compared to like, when we we had a couple budgets that were caught in between COVID and not COVID that we had to restructure and stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah, there should be no reason why you're not investing right now. Do not discredit investing completely. It's like what Robert Kiyosaki says, like the mar- everything's on sale at the market, uh, in the market. Like if you were going to the grocery store and something that you wanted was on sale, you would purchase it immediately. What's the difference here with real estate? Mm-hmm. Another thing yeah. I will say too, like, some people make money off fear. So they'll say, hey, the world's coming down, crashing. 
always look at who that person is. I think someone said, I think Warren Buffett makes a lot of money off fear. So, I mean, he made the bulk of his money in 2008 and nine. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, certain things he says, yeah, you know, but he'll make a lot of money off of it. So yeah, invest, invest, invest. That's what I tell people as well, man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm writing a bigger pockets article right now. And it's, I I have a feeling it's not going to be a, there's going to be a lot of hate coming my way towards that, but it's essentially what I just said about like, you need to exactly what you just said too. Like there's a lot of fear mongering out there because people, people are in positions where they're investing in a certain way. And if they have the platform to talk negatively, we're in a recession and blah, 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 their portfolios are going to benefit because of that. And I wish more and more people understood that. that you need to be very careful of who you're listening to because those people might have a position in something. If they're big enough to be on CNN, Fox, whatever, or like a big podcast, they're they probably have some sort of position or play in the market, and they're just trying to influence that. That's exactly. I'm, has anyone have you ever met someone who said I bought a house ten years ago? That was the biggest mistake of my life. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. I never even thought of that. That's a good angle to take on the article, saying they're out there saying don't buy. Now is a terrible time. All these bad articles. And they're over there in the background buying as much as they freaking can. Yeah, right. I've seen it on the short-term rental side, man. I'm not going to name names, but it's like I've seen people talk about like, oh, there's like an influx in inventory and blah, blah, blah. And it it's not a good time to invest, but like they're a short-term rental investor. Why would you be talking about that if you're on the podcast on this massive platform? I'm just saying... So that that's what the whole pot the part the article I'm writing right now is all about. That it's gonna that, be fun. And and that's what doesn't make sense to me either, right? People saying, oh, you know, over inflation, you know, there's too many people doing Airbnb or short term rentals, whatever. But at the same time, you know, it's funny because I work at this uh, at a job where you know uh, it's it's mixed. You know, a lot of middle aged, and then there's a lot of older people there. And all the older people, like a couple years ago, older people didn't even know what the hell Airbnb was. Now they all use it. And most of them, that's all they use when they travel now. So I'm like, well, there's stuff going on. Yes, there's more people doing Airbnbs. Yeah, but then Airbnb is still adding market share. And then not just Airbnb, like VRBO as well, booking.com. People, I think if you have a hotel room and a house and they're priced similarly, people are going to choose the house all day, or at least like the cabins we're developing. That's that's my thing on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, more people. Yeah, there's more people supply, you know, there's more supply, but there's more demand every single freaking year. Right. Right. And the old people figured out how to put the app on their phones. And that's, <laughs> you know, that's yeah, right. And that is pretty cool. And uh, and a lot of them are doing Airbnbs. And now we're managing for these, you know, older, older people, older generation. Like, oh, wow. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can manage it for me, young man. Um, yeah. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the fear. And, and and what's beautiful too, you know, on our end, I'm not building them, but I go shopping right now and I, right. I go every week I'm going looking at houses and it's, I get the whole, the whole hour to myself. There's not someone waiting yeah, for us. There's oh, open gotta... houses happening now compared to six months ago where like, it's, it's not normal for a property to get 30 offers in the first day. Like I wish people <laughs> understood that. Dude. The best and last highest offer by 5 PM. What the? Yeah. Fuck? You're like, you just listed it two hours ago. <laughs> 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 that's how it was when interest rates were low that's how it was now they're high yeah. people are complaining i can't buy now because they're high well now you can buy now there's yeah, less competition yeah it, it, i don't know if it directly correlates between interest rates and prices dropping but just ask a real estate agent in your market is it still people like there's still a good amount of inventory out there like for people to purchase it's just it's just getting back to where it was say like in 2015 and 16 where it takes some sign to sell the property. I don't think 2008 or nine will ever happen again in terms of 
the real estate. There's always some sort of like economic vehicle that causes it. It was just mortgage mortgage backed securities back in 2008 and nine. Prior to that, it was like the the dot com crash in the 2000s. Prior to that, it was like the savings and loans in the 80s. There's always something, but I don't I don't see real estate taking the crash that it did. Like prop like I grew up in Detroit, like property values losing 50, 60 percent of their property values. Um, I don't see that happening again because back in the day, you could walk into a bank, lie about your income, and get a loan. That oh, that yeah. was what caused that. You can't do that anymore, at least like to the point of like two thousand eight and nine. You can't. Yeah, the predi- it was predatory lending. That that's like right. that, so many things in place so that can't happen again. So yeah, right. like right now, I mean, you're in a buyer's market. You can go out there and get a good ass deal. You know what I mean? So stuff sitting, you know, like this house around the corner from me. I don't know if anyone wants to buy it because like if it's it's right in front of a school and like if yeah uh, school days you can't back out <laughs> of your house but you know what I'm saying it's just sitting there you know and it's sitting there with a for sale sign if you want to go make it I don't know if you want to make it a short term rental you'll get a lot of complaints but you can get a good deal out here people go get a good deal you're in a buyer's and market. and you know you know what's exactly it's a buyer's market like that use that word like it's a buyer's market. You are not a seller if you're trying to get into the real estate market right now. It is a buyer's market. You are a buyer. It's it. Yeah, I just like I just wish more people understood that. But it it, it goes back to the fear thing. Like people are just scared because he's just constantly seeing stuff on the news. So real quick, is Detroit making a comeback? Oh yeah, man. If you if you go down like downtown, um, not a lot of people know that like the uh, the Mike the Illich family the Illich family owns Little, Little Caesars, but. They purchased like city blocks in 2008 and nine. And it's like all of that's like, if you go to downtown Detroit, downtown Detroit's beautiful. Don't go to the suburbs, but like downtown Detroit's beautiful. Um, And there's, there's left and right, like skyscraper development happening. It's, it's pretty, it's, it's really fun to see that. I wish I would have bought townhouses back in 2007, even 17, because now they're like tripled, quadrupled in value. Damn. Funny. I just got back from Detroit and, um, we, we the event we went to was downtown the event downtown i'm like damn this is a nice ass city. brand new stadium everything yeah you know it's a totally different mindset but then like yeah but we stayed in the suburbs you know stuff shuts down at 10 o'clock yeah. but the townhomes there were short-term rentals the townhomes were beautiful that we stayed in but you go down the street some of it's still abandoned so they still are trying yeah, to get right, back right. up because a lot of it's yeah, yeah. but like downtown itself is thriving there's yeah. there's three casinos one of them is mgm oh. grand there's mm-hmm. um left and right development everywhere happening up there like and now i'm not just talking about little houses like full-blown skyscrapers and everything yeah and they even got like the dispensary money out there now like yeah, man huge dude i have a lot of family in that world yeah Oh really? Yeah, yeah man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, I've yeah. like, seen the dispensary stuff. Yeah, it, it Detroit's definitely has it definitely has opportunity. Yeah. It's funny, I was bring it up, but like we we have a friend uh in Chicago in um blah, 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 Denver. And and whenever they, they got the 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 you know marijuana tourism and all that stuff, and we, we asked them on the show, you and your wife partake because they have like a basement thing where they did Airbnb and um because yeah, yeah, yeah. The writer and, for your pockets, by the way. We're the writer for yeah, he was on our show. He admitted it. You want to say their name? That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not saying their name. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. Anyways, so he's like, he's like, I was like, well, okay. So you you hit up the dispensaries to to get your stuff. He's like, he goes, man, since we've been doing Airbnb, we had never have to buy anything ever again because these people come to town with with big eyeballs and then buying all these things, buying giant candy bars. He goes, they ate like five yeah. bites off a candy bar and they're they're done for the whole weekend because they just end up leaving piles of stuff at our place. 
Yeah, it is true. I'm, I never even thought about it like that. That's oh, funny. Yeah. When I was in Detroit, I'm pretty sure our Airbnb hosts were satisfied with our left behinds, but <laughs> it happened, you know. Man, yeah, Little Caesars. Hey, Little Caesars hit me up. Yeah, the <laughs> Little Caesars arena, they just built that. So you have like, I mean, I didn't and talk about Detroit here, but like you have literally the Lions Stadium, Ford Field, and then you have Comerica Park, like a baseball throw across the street. And then across the highway, which is right across the street, is the LCA, uh, Little Caesars Arena. So you have literally three stadiums within like a quarter mile of each other. It's crazy. That's how you should build a city. But these freaks over here, man, they got to spread yeah. out over the Metroplex. And then in, inside of that, there's three big casinos as well. Like the, within that, like maybe like two or three mile range and stuff. It's crazy. Yeah. You heard it here. Detroit's making a comeback. Invest in Detroit. Look at, I mean, if you guys want to, if you guys, if people who are listening about Detroit, um, if, if, if you guys are numbers people, just look at the unemployment rates. Like they were at like 12%, but now it's like, if you look at it now and you don't have any basis, like, okay, you look at it and you're like, okay, six, 7%, um, unem- sorry, interest rate, unemployment rate. Like if you looked at it during 2008 and nine, it was ridiculous. And then even 2017, you're looking at like an eight to 11 percent uh unemployment rate but now it's like seven to eight percent but you need to look at the whole thing like as if you compared that to like the national average it's trash but it's it's getting better it's like mm-hmm. cut in half since like six seven years ago wow 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 that's what they say with statistics you know because it's the way you read them but i heard a cool quote on statistics it's it's a group of numbers out looking for a fight and so and so yeah. Any, any, yeah any argument you want to make oh look at it, seven eight percent that they're garbage like you said they're trash but no look at it like this they're, they're recovering the, from 12 percent. entire average the last 15 years yeah, yeah exactly absolutely. exactly man been a good show huh micah yeah man this is really good i love the fact that you are building the short-term rentals that is that that you're the first person I think that's came on and said you're actually building them in a development phase, man. That that is awesome. If there's no, any- I appreciate it, man. Yeah, it's it's been it's been a fun roller coaster the last like five, six years, but it's it's good. It's it's getting really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. So if there's anything you need help with us from with us from, I'll reach out. We'll I'll try our best to help you out, man. Cause that, that's a really cool thing that you're doing. Yeah, brother. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Can you do any street magic? You're no man. All my stuff's all my stuff's in the other room right now. But I, you know, you're like the second or third person who's asked me about that. I've done like three or four podcasts the last couple of months, and that was like, I don't know. That always gets brought up. Can you do some magic for us right now? Yeah, I, I need to like have... keep a deck of cards around me or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you definitely got to do that, man. <laughs> That's a good way to break the ice with a with a potential seller. You know, do some it's a cool networking them. thing too. Like I was just at the ClickFunnels event, and there was like an after party that I was at at the ClickFunnels event, and we're just doing magic tricks to people with like seven, eight, nine figure earners and stuff. Oh wow! Yeah, you got yeah. A, like a David Blaine vibe, do you? Oh, thanks, man. I look like him too with my hair. <laughs> well, cool, <laughs> brother. Thanks. Hairline. <laughs> well, thanks for hopping on. Where can people find you? Yeah, man. Uh, if you guys are interested in what I do, we already mentioned bigger pockets. You guys can check me out there. I'm pretty active in the comment section. And then uh, I have a YouTube channel as well. It's called Alex Builds. It sort of just details what I work on on a daily basis. It got to a point where I was like, I'm just going to bring a camera to me. I'm already visiting the sites. Might as well just talk about it instead of, think of thinking of it. And then uh, I just put together a short terminal development course. Um, so like I essentially sat down and I was like, okay, what's the course that you wish you had when you first started? And that's, I just outlined a course, took me like six, eight months, six to eight months to put together. It's like 120 videos, 
coach there's some group coaching in there there's some templates workbooks everything that you need to essentially do what i do and that's at my personal website which is alexjarbo.com sweet any more questions for alex jarbo mike that is good man uh, i don't have anything and uh, i will want to tell you man thank you for coming on and yeah, coming man, thanks for having me on i love these like longer podcasts we've been riffing for like over an hour which i love <laughs> yeah to- yeah oh micah did have a question why is there no good food in detroit what <laughs> i didn't say no good food i said why does the food shut down so early yeah <laughs> i'm like man ain't no food i mean you got this dispensary over there people yeah yeah you know, what you, there's a lost opportunity there that's funny yeah, I mean, hey, you got to stop partaking at about six o'clock or else but yeah i gonna love this podcast when it comes out <laughs> his wife because she's like what'd you guys talk about i'm like detroit like for most of it <laughs> I do like the Detroit style pizza. That's that's bomb. It was, oh yeah, you guys do have some good pizza. I forgot the neighborhood we went to, and it was some damn good pizza. Uh, I forgot the neighborhood, but yeah, you guys do yeah. have good pizza. That's funny. Yeah. Like, uh, well, thank you for hopping on, man. Uh, we'll yeah, man. Hopefully, see you again in the future. For sure. All right. Later. All right, man. That was a great episode with Alex Jarbo. Is it Jarbo or Yarbo? Jarbo, Jarbo. I think Jarbo. Yeah, yeah, it was a really good episode, man. Uh, I love the fact that he's developing. That that that's a new one. Like when you actually develop them yourself, you have so much opportunity of like creating something unique, you know, and doing the A-frames, and then the, he's doing the cabins, then he's looking to do the tree houses. That's pretty dope, man. I, I like that idea. And there's no excuses, man, because he said like he couldn't get anybody to he couldn't, you know, sell him anything, right? So mm-hmm. he said, Well, shit, I'm just gonna build my own shit. And he did. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it is so much of that of this industry is um uh, you know jump out the plane build the parachute on the way down right that and, is and, and that's that's just how it is and, and the people that that take risks are going to be successful you know yeah if they just keep at it and, and minimize the risk hey if it don't if it don't rent well as a short-term rental i can rent it long term or sell the damn thing you know and, and yeah it, bread and butter it's it, it, I go back to this on my show. A buddy of mine got into real estate a few years back and he lost quite a bit of money because he tried to hit two home runs right away. Never done real estate in his life. Tried to buy big old, you know, McMansion type deals. And anyways, he made all every mistake in the book. But if he and he says it himself, if he would have started with the 1500 square foot three twos, even if he fucked up, he could still sell those like hotcakes every single day in any market. They're great. You know, starter homes are always in, in demand. So, um, yeah. So don't be afraid. Take risks, take calculated risk, and, and you're gonna you're gonna end up you know learning a bunch of stuff, and you're gonna end up making some money. Yeah, and that another thing you just said is very important. Is man, start small. Don't try to go into this big home run shit. Just start small. All you need is one small little fifteen hundred square footer, and then compound off that. Then once you learn that, you can go into the multifamilies. That's basically what I'm doing. I'm just waiting to. I'm eventually going to go to multifamilies and going to go to vacation rentals. But right now, I'm compounding off what I know. So I can expert at that, you know, basically you always have that in your back pocket and then you can grow in, into other areas, man. You can always start. Yeah. Yeah. But one thing I'll share real quick, because I'm kind of proud of this and, and it might come to fruition. It's getting close. It seems like it's going to come to fruition. It might not, whatever, but you know, 
so this house, this house in the Grand Prairie, you know, I, I ended up talk, getting to talk to the, the owner and, and, you know, we've been going back and forth. You know, they like my idea of doing the arbitrage thing and um, the rent was a little higher. I got him to knock it down a little bit. I got to knock it down the the um, um, the down. What's it called? The, the, the deposit. I got him to move the, you know, a lot of them do the last months or whatever, stuff like that. I got I got a lot of things and then we negotiated and it got it to a good price. But while we were getting towards the end of the negotiations, Something came up on one of the uh, one of the listing platforms, right? And someone was looking for a place for three months in Grand Prairie, and the same exact they want to be in that same exact area that this house is at, right? And they and also it said they want it unfurnished, and I was like, what do they they want it unfurnished? And I was like, that's interesting. And so I called the person. I said, hey, I got this house. Blah blah blah. I acted like I already had the house. I don't have it yet, right? But then and. They said, okay, yeah, when can she see it? It sounds good. Everything is checking off all the boxes. The pictures look great. I said, why do y'all do unfurnished? Go, oh, okay. It's because we furnish it for the clients. That's how they make their extra bit of money, right? But oh, okay. So you, I, I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, so y'all are going to go in there and furnish the damn thing for me? He goes, yeah. I said, TVs and everything. Yeah, we put everything in there. I was like, oh, what happens when they leave? Oh, we take it all out. Oh, okay. So I get, I'm going to get into this house, right? At, at, let's say 2,200 bucks a month. I'm going to rent this beautiful house for, and these people are going to come in and pay me 3,500 bucks a month. They want it unfurnished day one. I don't have to put a stitch of furniture in this mother lover. And I'm going to be making that much profit. Did you find out what industry they're in? These people? No, I didn't. I didn't yeah. find out. Find out, yeah. find that out. Just yeah. be like, Hey, I'm just curious. What industry are you guys in? Okay. And you can kind of see like, okay, if you're paying 3,500 unfurnished, who's, who's the guy behind you? Maybe uh -huh. insurance or something. Yeah. Find that out. That's a good opportunity, bro. Yeah. yeah, find yeah. Like, hey, so you want this unfurnished. What industry are you in? Yeah. Just kind of find that out. Well, yeah. Well, the, they, the, the people renting it, they don't want it unfurnished. It's the, it's the ins the provider, the insurance, the, the place that works with the insurance companies. That's part of their spiel. So they find a place unfurnished for these for these people and they furnish it. So they get paid for the furnishing part of it. Correct. So find yeah, yeah. Out who they are. Yeah. And then you can, because, hey, think about it. That's the opportunity. Hey, you can go find them unfurnished. You'll be like, hey, what? <laughs> I'm serious. Like, now you're, now you're calling. Yeah, now you're calling unfurnished people. Like, hey, man, I got a client. Uh, I'll give you. Hey, you want 2200 Hey, I'll give you 2500 You take your 3500 let them come in and first and you take <laughs> walk the hell out. <laughs> oh, dude. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's I'm like, hold on, who's behind them? I'm like, if you just want to, yeah, man, that's an opportunity, man. Take advantage of that. <laughs> Sweet. So, yeah, thank you for all y'all for listening to our little show here. That's getting, you know, a little popular to uh, live, let thrive. Uh, find us at live, let thrive.com, live, let thrive at gmail.com. Uh, my company, Argus Rentals, A R G E S T Rentals. Argus is the largest. We'll manage for you, make you some money. And Micah, yeah, yeah. Y'all, uh, if y'all have anything that is for not for sale, if you have anything in the DFW area, tore down houses, crack houses, trap houses, uh, houses that your grandma holding on to and she needs to get rid of, your aunt's holding on to, holler at me or Mahogany. Hit us up on Instagram. Hit Mahogany up on Instagram, actually. And uh, yeah, we'll see what we can do for you. And thank you for continuing to be a loyal listener of Live Let Thrive. Go ahead, Steve. Real quick, you haven't bought uh, Micah Buys Houses yet? You haven't bought that website? No, not yet. <laughs> oh, man, buy it. Yeah, I'll look into it. <laughs> five bucks, five bucks. Oh, speaking of that, a quick tip to everyone. If you really want to like really set yourself up, just a quick tip. 
buy your first and last name.com and your kids first and last name.com and hold that shit. Just a tip. So I'm happy you brought that up. Just a tip. Always buy that. And why is that? Hmm? Just why is- if they ever want to do something, they always have that in the bank. If they want to be some type of influencer, it's in the bank. They got it. Um, but yeah, uh, also, yeah, thank y'all for continuing to listen to us. We appreciate all the love, support. Um, sorry, the YouTube videos were coming out slow, but we got them back on track. And make sure you go check out the old episodes and hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. If you leave us a review, we will shout you out on the podcast, even if you leave us a bad one. Uh, you know, I know, I know <laughs> one person said we talk about coffee too much, which I was like, what the that hell? Was a long time ago. <laughs> hey, while I'm drinking my Starbucks, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but anyways, yeah, give us a good review. And yeah, thank y'all for getting here to listen to us. It's been a fun five years, I think, and we're going to keep cranking them out. Let's go. LLT out. Peace. Later. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Live, Let, Thrive. Be sure to tune in next week for all the latest in the world of Airbnb and all that entails. Bye-bye.